0: Thank you for joining us for worship uh, here and online. Uh, My my prayer with with Tom is that the the power of God, that the word of God, that the Holy Spirit would speak to you, would speak to me in a way that that crushes fear in your life, that uh, destroys any kind of of bondage that you might experience um, on multiple levels uh, because of the enemy. And so today we're going to talk about uh, faith versus fear and what it looks like to walk in faith and to receive and inherit the the blessings of god his presence Um, we're we're going to set this in the context of continuing the story that we've been 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 studying as far as god's word of the covenant to israel his people kind of the ten commandments has been a big part of our focus and what we've tried to do as a, a teaching team is show you how these commandments come from the heart of god uh, all of them are based on this story and this relationship to what God is, is uh, trying to do with Israel, his people, and the, the story he's continuing to tell uh, in our lives today. So to set the context, we ha- so far recognize that God has freed Israel from the Egyptian slavery, utilizing uh, the, the plagues and things like that, and he's continued to say, let my people go or set my people free that they may worship me. So we continually get the heart of God to free his people, is that we could be free to worship him. And he's establishing Israel as a great nation. Uh, not just numbers, but provision and all kinds of things. So as he leads them out of Israel, they run into the Red Sea, and he splits that, and he destroys the Egyptian army. Uh, he continues to feed them and take care of them in kind of their, their escape route in really miraculous ways. Uh, and then in order to build them up, so that one, they might recognize his faithfulness, but two, they might be a, a city on a hill, if you will. They might be a light to the nations, that, uh, and, and almost an invitation that as God establishes and blesses Israel, uh, people will be drawn to be a part of his kingdom, which, which we know now is fully realized in the person of Jesus Christ, that he uh, wants to call all men and women to himself. Uh, to establish blessing in their life and, and worship and glory to his name. And so this is kind of the context that God gives the Ten Commandments, correct? He, as he's trying to establish a people, he says, there's a way to live your life that is good and that is reflective of being my image bearers. And so he gives these commandments in that context that says, if you live in this way and with me, uh, good things will happen. And so we're going to focus in today on uh, a narrative within that bigger story about when Moses is the leader of Israel, and we get the characters of Joshua and Caleb. And so we're in Deuteronomy chapter 1. I'm going to kind of skim through all these just for the sake of time, and kind of set the stage of these examples where a handful of, well, really two men (laughs) live by faith, and the rest are paralyzed with fear. And so listen to me as I read through uh, Deuteronomy 1. I'm going to start in verse 6. It says, God tells Israel, Go and take the hill country of the Amorites that I have set before you, that the Lord has sworn to your fathers. Go take the terrifying land that God is giving you. Do not be afraid or distressed. And so God has promised the promised land, the, uh, the hill country in this situation, the, the, the land flowing with milk and honey. Um, he's promised this to the, the forefathers of this generation, and now they're at the place and time where he's saying, it's time to go and take this. But he says it's a terrifying land, well what makes it terrifying? Uh, it's a hill country, and it's occupied by giants. Uh, so they think a good idea is to send spies to scope out the land. And it says that, it, uh, that that seemed a good idea to Moses, and the land was good. And in verse 26, he says, Yet, Moses is recounting, Yet you would not go up, Israel, but you rebelled against the commandments of Yahweh, or the Lord, your God. You murmured, the Lord hates us. He brought us out of Egypt to give us to destruction to the giants. So take note there of their perspective of God's heart towards them. And so they're, they're, they're viewing these commands that God is asking of them through specific lenses. And so at this moment, Israel says, the Lord hates us, he's rescued us from Egypt, only to die by the hand of the giant Amorites. And Moses says in verse 29, do not be afraid, God will fight for you just as he did in Egypt before your eyes and in the wilderness where you have seen how Yahweh, your God, has carried you. He led you. He guided you to this place. He used fire by night and a cloud by day. So Moses is reminding them of the provision of God. Verse 34. God was angered because Israel disobeyed and was unbelieving. So only Caleb and his children, because he wholly followed God, and Joshua and the little ones shall enter the land. So basically... They don't trust God. They don't trust that he's going to make good on his word to give them the land uh, because they're focused and looking at the circumstance. And the circumstances, indeed, are terrifying. There's giants in the land. And so you have Caleb and Joshua, and we'll pick up a little bit more of that story, who are trusting God and says, we can go and we can take this. So, God, through Moses, delivers, says, fine, if you're your unbelief and your disobedience, so all of you aren't going to get the land. You aren't going to enter the promised land, save this select group of faithful people. And so after they hear the consequence, they say, oh, wait, 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 we'll go, we'll go. Okay, so they gird up their loins, and they prepare for battle, uh, and they get ready to go fight. And God says, don't go fight, because I'm not going with you now. If you go fight, you'll be defeated. And sure enough, they go anyways, and they get defeated. And so, Interesting, I don't believe Israel had true repentance when Moses basically told them of their unbelief. They wanted their cookie. (laughs) And it had nothing to do with faith in God. It had nothing to do with trusting God's heart for them. In fact, they could have approached that still fully believing God hated them. So this is a great example of works without faith. Okay, we'll go fight, which is the same thing God asked them to do moments earlier. But because it wasn't enveloped and framed and housed in the love of God and the goodness of God, the simple fact is they didn't want their consequence and they wanted their cookie of the promised land. So now they go up without him and they get defeated. We get more of the story in Numbers 13 and 14 Where again, Caleb and Joshua were part of the group of spies and they come back and they report the land is good. Yes, there's a ton of giants, but we should invade anyways because God has promised this. And this is what it says. Caleb is kind of the spokesman here um, in Numbers, oh, I believe it's uh, 14.8. The land which we pass through to spy out is exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, look at the heart there. He will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear. So one group hears the commands of God through the grid that God hates them. And they're looking at different circumstances to misinterpret this. And Caleb says, God delights in us and therefore we can trust in his word and trust in his promises so it doesn't matter what you see with your eyes because the eyes of your heart see all of that through the goodness and the promises of god in other words caleb has faith in god's word and god's character towards him fast forward in joshua 14 to kind of finish the story and then we'll kind of step back from the narrative and and check out the principles here Forty-five years later, in Joshua 14, it says this, Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal. So this is after they've conquered many lands, but haven't conquered all the lands. And Joshua is now in charge. Moses has died, and Caleb's still around. And so Joshua is dividing the land, or kind of giving portions of the land to the different tribes. And Caleb says to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, in Kadesh Barnea, concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, yet I fully followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land which your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever, because you fully followed the Lord your God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said, these 45 years since that time the Lord spoke to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness. Behold, now I, Caleb, this day am 85 years old, and I am still as strong today as I was in the days when Moses sent me. My strength now is my strength was then, for war and for going and coming. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakidans were there, with great fortified, city, uh, great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord has said. Then Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb. So one quick encouragement to you 85-year-olds. Even though you may be retired from your job, still be of use to God. Here's Caleb, 85 years old, still has his chest out, Saying, I can be used by God. Give me that hill country that he promised me. And he still, I, I pray when I'm 85, if I should live that long, that the enemy still fears me. And that my friends and my family still love me. And so I think this is just a great picture of a man who wholly followed God all the days of his life. And work looks different, I am sure, when you're 85 than when you're 40. But God still uses you in phenomenal ways to impact his kingdom and the world. So stay the course you old saints, patriarchs, and matriarchs. What do we learn from this? If you fast forward to Hebrews 3 and 4, the author is is kind of recounting this story in Israel's history. And he's saying how many people did not enter God's rest because of disobedience. And that disobedience came from a lack of faith. And that disobedience came from this spirit of fear. And so Old Testament, many times in the Bible when you read the ancient scriptures, the, the promised land or land in general was was symbolic of God's presence and symbolic of God's blessing. It wasn't just symbolic. It was truly land. Uh, you can go there today. But because that culture lived so much in the land and a part of the land, it was very practical. You, you had cities on hills to guard yourself from invasion, you needed to be water sources, you needed to have good soil. Uh, that's how they lived. So all of this was very practical, but it was also this, this deeper meaning and a picture of God being present and providing what you needed for life. And though we're a little bit removed from that in some senses and in the interconnection of our world, uh, there's still the same message of God's provision in our life and all that we need. And so at this point, uh, Hebrews 3, 9 recants, it says, They always go astray in their heart, for they have not known my ways. So what are the things that removes us from rest? What are the things that keeps us from experiencing the promised land? It's when our heart does not know the ways of God, and knowing the ways of God come from the heart God has towards you. When that happens, something will hijack faith. And generally, it's fear. Hebrews 4.2 says, The good news did not benefit them because it was not united with faith. So again, I think if we, if we just adopt a, just a Christian cultural religion, we'll have all of these rules and all these commands, which many of them will come from the scriptures. But if it is only about the rules and the commands then I believe we, will, we can still walk in fear and not experience rest and peace and not experience true ultimate obedience simply by producing works apart from relationship. It won't have power in our lives and very seldom, I think, will it have the kind of power that God wants in other people's lives. It's going to battle based on not getting your cookie and bad things happen. I think this is where legalism comes in. It's trying to achieve standards for the wrong sake. It's trying to achieve standards for favor with God and favor with people. It's rules without a relationship. And many of us know what this is like when we're so locked in on the rules and we miss the heart of God, we miss the fellowship of God, we miss the presence of God, we miss the power of God to fulfill those rules. As parents, I think we tend to, maybe we fail here more than we'd like where we establish all these rules, or maybe you had a father or a mother who had so many house rules and so many life rules, but there was never a relationship there. And that seldom produces the kind of obedience that we're after. It seldom produces the kind of blessing that we want for our children uh, to even establish those rules in the first place. So within the Ten Commandments and within the story of Israel, which carries over to us, God wants to make sure as a perfect father that all these rules are in place for your good, but they are going to be fulfilled and bring rest and satisfaction when you understand the whole point of the rules is so that you and I can have fellowship and you can be accurate image bearers because my rules come from who I am. By choosing to live by faith and follow God's specific instruction, we allow God to produce blessing in our life. Whether that's salvation or rest or peace, it's the fruits of the Spirit, really. By choosing to live out of fear, we won't experience God access to our heart. We, 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 in some ways, we deny that access to our heart. And we won't experience the transforming work that he wants to do at the time that he wants to do it. So I thought it might be helpful to define fear, anxiety, and then we'll define faith. Kind of figure out what are we really talking about? What are these two roads, these two paths that we can take? Uh, Fear is this idea that something bad is going to happen to me or to someone I love. Typically, fear, if we're going to differentiate a little bit, fear and anxiety are kind of cousins, and it's hard to know when one stops and the other starts. But typically, fear is a little bit more defined. We, we are afraid of the giants. We are afraid to public speak. We are afraid to have this conversation. Typically, fear has has kind of a specific situation that's defined, and Oftentimes, uh, it turns into anxiety, which is much more ambiguous. It's a lot less defined. It's not just this circumstance or situation, but it starts to, to leak out into just this general feeling, right? It's, it's hard to even name. We can just tell it's present. Now, there's a healthy form of fear, uh, a fear that's a gift from God. It's, it's usually logical. Proverbs says that a wise man sees danger and avoids it. So usually, it's not just a feeling. It has some logic and and cognitive senses to it where you recognize that's a dangerous situation. What do I need to do to avoid the bad thing from happening? Consider a child who many children are fearless. uh, The child who does not know how to swim and just runs and jumps into the water. Now that's a bad situation. And healthy fear, as he grows and matures, he'll understand there's some precautions that need to take place. Uh, don't go in the water until you learn how to swim, right? So there's, there's a healthy fear there. Uh, many people in, in the hills rock climb. And so there's a healthy fear for the danger when you're on the face of a granite. And so they do some things to reduce the danger. You have equipment you have your top ropes you got belay you got a partner you, you you have all these things that you check and you double check and you go through your route and you have conversation and so you take all these precautions that in some ways are based out of healthy fear and assessing and evaluating the danger but it's more than just a feeling right and when you do those things it allows you freedom to enjoy the climb it allows you freedom to enjoy life. You might still feel like if you fall, you're gonna die. But that's where this fear often takes a possibility, and regardless of how unlikely it is, you just still have this feeling. Yeah, but, but fear grips me, and I feel like if I fall, I'm going to die. And then your mind plays, well, people have died, yes. <laughs> um, people have died rock climbing, yes. And so you play all these scenarios in your life and there's either no way you get up on that rock and if you do you won't enjoy it and sometimes it's really good once you have taken the precautions to fall because you realize you fall like six to twelve inches and your guy holds you and you say oh that's not that bad and over time of falling whether it be our own sin our own choices or the effects of other sin and suffering over time you begin to realize, in the ultimate sense, you truly are safe. I hear a lot of people say to me, well, I'm just an anxious person. Yep, I'm a worrier. My encouragement is stop imagining worlds where God is not present. Because anxiety and unhealthy, ungodly fear typically goes something like this. Something bad is going to happen. Do bad things happen? Yes, but you imagine these little worlds, you imagine these little scenarios in your mind, and very seldom is God a character in that world. Picture a huge hourglass and you're up at top and you recognize the world is vast and the world is big. And so you which means the world is dangerous. Experience tells you that. So you have to find a way to shrink your world. You have to find a way to minimize that risk. And so maybe you are hyper vigilant with your own life and you try to control everything because a big world is hard to control. And so you shrink that down. Maybe you're an isolator. Maybe you don't go to the St. Patrick's Day party because you're gonna be around people and something bad's gonna happen. Maybe you don't go to church because you're afraid someone's going to judge you. Well, all you people are going, but uh, maybe you online people. Uh, I don't know how you control your life. Or maybe, maybe it's more your, your kids or the people you love, where you'll be in the middle of something, and any time anyone on your list calls, you have to answer it. Now, I'm not saying it's always wrong, but you could be doing the same work based on fear instead of faith, because you have got to find a way to, to avoid bad things from happening and you live in fear and you live in anxiety. And God wants to open up your world. God wants faith to interject in that tiny, small space where you're not living, that shrunken world where you're not free to experience his blessings. And honestly, you're not free to be a blessing. And to expand that world, you have to have a bigger God because in some ways we are absolutely right. The world is big and the world is dangerous. But in the imagination that produces fear and anxiety, God is not there. So we have to begin to allow God into those little spaces of imagination. C.S. Lewis, in the story of Prince Caspian, there's this scene where Aslan is the Jesus figure and Lucy is one of the, the daughters. And it says this, Aslan said, Lucy, you're bigger. That is because you are older, little one, answered he. Not because you are, I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. I believe when we grow in Christ, when we grow in maturity, when we spend time with God, he gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And when we have a powerful God, when we have a good God, when we have a big God, we can afford a big world. And then we can be prudent we can be wise to avoid danger, but our, wi- our wisdom and our actions of prudence will come from faith in our God and his promises, not fear. Joshua and Caleb had faith in God. The rest of Israel at that time, all they could see was the giants. That's all they could focus on was this terrifying hill country and these terrifying people that don't want us here. And so the world that they imagined removed God. Or worse, God did what? Hated them. He was playing games with them. I'm going to free you here to kill you there. You see how that's hardly logical, right? We just get stuck in what it feels like. So how about faith? To define faith, I believe faith is an action word. I believe we could say faith is belief in action. Uh, almost more than just belief in our mind. It's a conviction or a belief that is so firmly held and established that it produces some sort of activity. A conviction that is so strong and so deep and so firmly rooted and established that it will produce some form of activity. Uh, James, I think, defines faith in in very, very helpful ways. This is chapter 2. Starting in 14, it says... What good is it if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Verse 18, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Faith apart from works is useless. Faith was active along with his work, and faith was completed by his work. Faith apart from works is dead. So James is claiming that if true faith, trust in God, will always go somewhere, will always produce something. Now again, I still think it's possible to have works apart from faith. So many times we say sorry, not because of the sin, uh, but because we don't like to have someone mad at us. Is that based in love and faith, or is that based on fear? Many times as Christians, we may even forgive but it has nothing to do with God asking us to forgive and has nothing to do with God saying, you forgive as I have forgiven you. It hardly has God in the equation. We just say, well, it's what Christians do, and so I'm gonna try to forgive. And I'm not sure if that's true faith. Maybe it's, I'm not gonna have a drink. Maybe it's, I'm not gonna have sex before marriage because I don't want an STD or a teen pregnancy. All these things that certainly might be wise, but I wonder if they're truly based on faith. I wonder if we make those decisions in view of who God is and the promises He has made. Or I, I believe true obedience always comes from a heart that says, "God, I trust you." Therefore, I won't drink in this moment. Therefore, I won't engage in premarital sex. Therefore, I will choose to forgive. Faith in what? Faith in who? Faith in God, faith in his promises. You might be kind of trying to find a scenario where do you go take the hill country or not? Where there's a decision in front of you. And a lot of times I think we're not sure what to do. Mostly, maybe it doesn't have to do with God because we're not really sure what God wants us to do. Is he asking us to go here or go there? Is he asking us to transfer jobs? Is he asking us all these things? And we're just not sure what his will is. So I would say let's start with the things that we do know. Let's start with the things that he has already promised us. Let's start with the things that he has already commanded us. What are you going to do with your stimulus check? You buy a new vehicle? Maybe you're supposed to. You're going to take a trip? Maybe you're supposed to. You're going to pay off some debt? Maybe you're supposed to. And we want to hear from God. Well, what if I want a new motorcycle? But I got eight thousand dollars of credit card debt do i need to pray about that i don't know if i do god has told me maybe i don't need a new motorcycle god has told me boy debt can be enslaving In most situations it's unwise and so how do i make the decision on what to do with my stimulus check do i need to hear from god maybe i already have so certainly we all have situations that are gray areas that we're not sure the right or the wrong, and we need to continue to press into God, seek counsel, look at his word, and then just make a decision. But there are many, many commands that I have already received from God. And faith says, God, I trust you, even though it maybe may, might not make sense to me. I might feel afraid of the giants, but courage says I go anyways. Obedience says because of you and because of your promises you're going to put your faith in something there's this fad right now in at least our culture deconstructing your faith have you guys heard of this so all kinds of people are deconstructing their faith and basically what's happening is they are taking maybe they had faith in this christian country club (laughs) instead of the true god and so they're just transferring or changing or, or or guiding their faith somewhere else, ultimately to themselves. I'm going to tear down all these things that I know, and I'm going to put it in myself. This is what Romans 1 says, 22 and 25. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of an immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creatures rather than the Creator." Matthew 10, 28 says, Don't fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Oftentimes, I pray for myself and for my kids. I ask that they would fear God and nothing else. Do things for God and do things with God. How do you cultivate this kind of faith? Well, remember what Moses did for Israel? He reminded them of his provision. He reminded them that he freed them from slavery. Remember how horrible that was and how miraculous it was that God freed you from that. He reminded them of providing in the wilderness. He reminded them of the Red Sea. He reminded them of the fire at night and the smoke by the day. He reminded them of God's provision. Because I'm not asking any of us to just put our heads in the sand and act like bad things don't happen so you have nothing to fear. You have all kinds of situations to be concerned about and we are promised suffering we are promised trials i don't have to talk anybody into that you guys know what that's like but the reminder is that you can go through deep loss and then all of a sudden you smile again little kids are scared of the baseball and then they get hit by a pitch and they're like oh, that ain't that bad we sang a song earlier that talked about the resurrection conquering death. See, I believe we don't need to just insert God into these areas that at, on some level seem small, but I believe the resurrection of Jesus Christ is what we hang all of our hope. I believe if it doesn't go deep enough, if it doesn't go to death and doesn't conquer death, you will never fully get rid of fear and anxiety because your mind will continually go to the end of that thread and the end of that thread really is death. Now you might not die from getting hit by a pitch, you might not die from falling off a rock, but there's a chance you will. And if you don't have an answer for that, you do have reason to fear. You do have reason to live your life full of anxiety. But because of God's victory over death, that there's no pain on earth that heaven can't heal, and there's no pain on earth that heaven won't heal for those who are in Jesus Christ. If you've lived very long, there's been moments of your life where you certainly had to set up camp two steps from hell, and you know what it's like to experience deep sorrow and deep loss, but when you recognize that you live to tell about it, that God carried you like he carried Israel, in some ways you become untouchable. Not that you won't experience sorrow and not that there's moments where your heart doesn't feel like it's ripped out of your chest. But when that's happened and you realize that you still have the promises of God and you still have the presence of God, what does man have to fear? I believe it's what allows you, well, little scenarios, it's getting ready to blizzard, right? So if my 15 year old daughter is driving and all of a sudden I get a call after it's been snowing for hours, might be wise to answer that, make sure she's okay, but I don't have to because God has an answer for her and her protection. And I'm not saying she's gonna make it home. When you get a call and someone you love can't be found and talked about taking their life, it's wise to take that call. It's wise to make calls and to go find them But when you pull up to their car and you don't know what you're going to find, what in you speaks hope? The resurrection of Jesus Christ speaks hope. That allows you to take every circumstance, the loss of a child from cancer. Your spouse says they found someone else. Any circumstance that life throws at you, The resurrection and promise of eternal life is what allows you to endure suffering with hope. It allows you to say, I am the victor. I am more than a conqueror because of the grace of God. And that Jesus Christ killed death. Spend time getting to know him Spend time understanding his promises so that fear will be vanquished from your life. You still might feel anxiety at moments, that's part of the fall, that's part of living in a broken world, but it won't keep you from getting on the rock. It won't keep you from living life. It won't keep you from attacking the giants and receiving the blessing of God. Second Corinthians 4.8 says, we are afflicted in every way, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but we are not forsaken. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. I fully believe knowing God will wreck fear and will destroy anxiety. Uh, my 11-year-old son Griffin, when he was about three years old, we were at a church event and activities in the sanctuary. The rest of the church was closed down, and he was playing with this little ball, and he ball got out of his hand, and it started rolling. He starts chasing it, and then it goes down this dark alley with no lights. And the darkness was just this line, and the rest was dark. And he took off running it, and he just stopped at that line. And he watched his ball just doop, doop, doop. doop. And so I was about 10, 15 yards behind him, and I was just observing this And I just slowly strolled up, and as soon as I got next to him, didn't look at me. He just knew I was there. Guess what he did? Took off after that ball into the darkness. When you know the Father, when you know the Father delights in you, when you know the Father has promised to ultimately keep you safe, eternally keep you safe, When you know the promise's idea of protection doesn't mean fat, rich, and happy all the time. But it means maybe fat, rich, and happy forever, I don't know. But when you can understand that he is for you and that he is big, that he has conquered all things on your behalf, you can run into the darkness, you can take the hill country, you, your heart can ache and ache and ache, but you will not be crushed. I want to finish today reading you just rifling through 10 verses in Scripture about God's presence and how it vanquishes fear. So just listen. Isaiah 41 one says, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will uphold you. I will help you with my righteous right hand. Uh, if we have another song, you guys can come up as I read these. Joshua 1.9 says, I, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. The Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Philippians 4.6.7 Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Isaiah 41, 13, For I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, Do not fear, for I will help you. Psalms 118, 6, The Lord is with me, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? 1 John 4:18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears has not been perfected in love. Psalms 23, 4, Even though I walk through the valley of the darkest shadow, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. First Peter 5, 7, cast all of your worries on him, because he cares for you. Proverbs twenty nine twenty five. the fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. And lastly, Deuteronomy 31, 6, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, for the Lord your God goes with you, and he will never leave you, and he will never forsake you.